Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip. It was this Sunday morning that I was called to see a patient before church at 9 a.m. So here I am at 7 o'clock in the morning driving to a, a hospital to see a patient and I'm thinking, you see, you, you're not supposed to be doing this. You, you need to be preaching at in two in hours. Way. I mean, yeah, yeah this, you're distracted now. Yeah. <laughs> to make the long story short, I go, I see the patient. He was with his wife. I presented the gospel. The patient and the wife gave their lives to the Lord huh. that morning. And I said, Lord, I will never complain again. Morgan, welcome to another episode of The Calling. Richard, hey, how's it going? Good. You've got an interesting episode of Quick to Listen this week. Miroslav Wolf will be joining us from Europe, which is a hot region of the world Yeah. right now. But he will actually be joining us to talk to us about American domestic concerns. So how, how would people have known about Miroslav Wolf? Great question. He is a quite prominent theologian. He is the author of a book that came out earlier this year that discusses just civic participation and how to be a good citizen. And we'll be using some of the themes of his books to unpack the Supreme Court abortion decisions in Texas. Right. So a lot lot of conversation revolving around the Supreme Court decision, a lot of discussions about what's next, and you guys are going to be talking about that this week. So that's exciting. Is that hot enough for people? Yeah. I think so. That's a hot topic, a hot take on the way. (laughs) <laughs> Hopefully not a hot take. Yeah, the, we don't do hot takes. Thank you. We do only not do cold, we... ice cold takes here at CT. Correct. That's what CT stands for, actually. People don't know this. It stands for cold takes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, the other than that, there's a new issue of CT just came out, hot off the presses. We're going to be discussing that on Facebook Live uh, the day this podcast comes out. Wednesday. So hopefully you're one of these people that catches the calling at 8 a.m. when it comes out so you can catch us on Facebook Live. But guess what? I think our video will probably be available on Facebook Live after that if people want to view it. Yeah, you can view it. So we'll be talking about that issue and maybe some other people who didn't make the list. But A little sneak preview is that, yeah, when Richard said list, he didn't tell you what the list was of. Oh, gosh. It's of 20 different Christians who are doing majorly creative stuff. And because we recognize it's not a comprehensive list, we're going to be adding some of our own nominees and kind of just stirring the pot with people who love Jesus and love making art and using their brains and their hands to do interesting stuff. Yeah. So if you like this uh, podcast, you like the stuff CT does online and you're not subscribed to the print magazine in general, you should be because it's kind of the cornerstone of everything we do here. Um, It's kind of the best of the best in terms of our content, and it is what makes the calling possible. People who subscribe to the calling um, inherently make the calling a thing that could exist. (laughs) Christianity Today magazine is, uh, yeah, thanks for that. Christianity Today magazine, it offers redemptive yet honest coverage of the people, events, and ideas shaping the church and culture. And as a subscriber, each year you get 10 print issues, you get the tablet PDF versions, you get web access, full web access to christianitytoday.com and you get online archives dating back to 1956. We've got a special deal for those who are listening to The Calling right now. Even you, Bob, um, you get a year-long subscription. There's a guy named Bob listening, I assume. Hey, Bob. So, Bob, you get a year-long subscription to Christianity Today for our lowest rate of $10. That's pretty good. All you have to do is head over to orderct.com slash the calling and subscribe. By subscribing, you'll be supporting thoughtful, essential journalism and helping us to continue to produce episodes of The Calling every week. So back to The Calling itself. This week we have Miguel Nunez on the show. Have you ever heard of Miguel Nunez? I think I follow him on Twitter. Do you really? I think I do, yeah. That's impressive because I think he only tweets in Spanish. Bueno, yo hablo español. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, I assume you said in Spanish. I think I got that part. 
I did not say in Spanish. I said I speak Spanish. You speak in Spanish. <laughs> I in Spanish. I said I speak Spanish. He's a council member for the Gospel Coalition, but he also is a uh, the pastor, the senior pastor of Iglesia Bautista Internacional in the Dominican Republic. Iglesia Bautista Internacional. Yeah. In la República Dominicana. Uh huh. Sí. He's also the president of Wisdom and Integrity Ministries. It's actually called that in Spanish. También es presidente de Ministerio de Sabiduría y Integridad. It's really good you're talking to me right now because you're able to translate. So he does. He actually does like very little in English, which is interesting. He's very focused on his Spanish-speaking ministry, but nonetheless, we wanted to have him here because we thought our listeners could get a lot out of it, even if they did, weren't familiar with his work. So bivocational in the very literal sense, he uh, is a pastor. That's his primary job. He considers his hobby to be being a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, I wish we all were so lucky. I know that's what he does in his spare time is he like helps people medicinally and as a physician. It's a really interesting conversation about like what work life balance looks like when that is your spare time thing <laughs> um, and you have people all around you in need and stuff. Um, and so he does that. He's also he talked a little bit about his ministry being focused on sort of middle class and up as a way of transforming a city with a focus on the poor in goal, right? But his personal focus is on like middle class and up. So he talks about sort of the inherent pushback you would have on something like that, the ideas there, and how he keeps that whole thing centered on a Christ-like, gospel-centered focus on the poor as well. Super intrigued. Yeah. So Miguel Nunez, it was a really good conversation. Check it out. Here it goes. No, I lived in the U.S., okay. in the New Jersey area, for okay. 15 years, okay. from 1982, 1982 to 1997. And you like New Jersey? Uh, we did. Um, we were there in medicine, and really, we enjoyed uh, the time we spent there. You're not practicing medicine anymore, I guess. I, I do a little bit of that okay. with second and third opinion cases. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I do not have an open... Uh, medical office any longer. I don't have that time. Nevertheless, given the number of years that that I have spent here and even there doing infectious diseases, uh, I get consulted maybe a couple of times a week to do cases that are either complicated or maybe a second or third opinion case. So that's what I'm doing now. Your name is Miguel Nunez. Correct. And you're uh, the lead pastor of, tell, tell me the name of the church. Iglesia Bautista Internacional de Santo Domingo, or International Baptist Church of Santo Domingo. Okay, great. And you're the president of an organization as well. Right. There's the Wisdom and Integrity Ministries, which in Spanish would be Integridad y Sabiduría, Ministerios Integridad y Sabiduría. And what do they do? Uh, we do different things, but we are producing a lot of video material, a lot of audio material. Uh, primarily thinking about Latin America. We are in the middle or at the beginning of a campaign called Latin America Awake, and that is a call to Latin American pastors and leaders to wake up to the doctrines of grace as well as to uh, just uh, what a solid doctrine, biblical doctrine is. Uh, we're doing that through different means. I just published a book called Teachings That Transformed the World, looking at the teachings of the Reformers, and have that impact of society, something that we have not seen in Latin America. Uh, I'm doing 95 theses for the Evangelical Church today. Oh, wow. So we're up to thesis number 13, is once a week, uh -huh. and it's supposed to end on October 31st of next year, which is the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. So there are different things. We do a conference called Por Su Causa, which uh, is every two years now. We're doing it this, this year, next month, in May, the last weekend. And the guest speakers are Joe MacArthur, Mark Dever, and Al Moller. All three are, are coming to the conference. In Latin America. In Latin America, in, in Santo Domingo. Okay. And uh, we gather about seven, 8,000 people to talk about some of these uh, doctrines of grace as well as um, just solid biblical teaching. 
the theme for this year is the church will prevail uh, based upon the promises of Christ, or the one promise of Christ. I like that. Christ. I like that. So the church will prevail. I just wrote an editorial for the local church, which is launching tomorrow, and it was all about this idea that, you know, there's a lot of talk about the churches under siege or the churches being disregarded by, like, millennials, lots of people leaving it, and basically just this idea that that that's not a thing we really have to be concerned about the church going away it's like one of the few institutions that just we know for a fact is never going to evaporate that's right <laughs> you know? maybe the one institution yeah exactly. that has the guarantee from heaven right that it will not disappear for sure so maybe this plays into the next question which um we always ask people up front what how would you describe what your calling is i think god called me to plant a church and then from that church uh, to proclaim his truth, not only to the people that gather in that local church, but also beyond that, those four walls, if you will. Uh, that includes our country and beyond our frontier. So that's why we are tackling Latin America. I think through the years, God have raised people uh, just by his own grace. N- nothing special about those who had been used of God in the past, other than the grace of God being with them. So I think one of the one call God gave me beyond the local church is, is to try to impact the region uh, through different means, but always using the church as the foundation from which you are trying to do that. Uh, I think uh, we, we lose, lose track of uh, the biblical teaching that the local church is the instrument to carry out the rest of the work. I think a lot of part of church ministries, good ones even, have come up. But I think there is only one reason for that, is that the churches have not done their job. And therefore, someone needs to do it. Uh, so I'm not criticizing them. I'm just saying sure. that they came up as a consequence of or because of the need of. But I think at the center of that was the deficiency of the local church not doing what we are all supposed to do. A lot of what's central to your calling is planning churches? You are in the process of doing that now. Okay. I think the initial, I've been in, in this church for almost 18 years, and we spent a lot of time trying to solidify it and grow that church. Mm-hmm. And then in the uh, we divided our vision in 30 years, just looking at the book of Acts, the first 30 years of the church, and uh, just looking at even the life of Paul. It was just an illustration, obviously, that how Paul was sent out probably 10 years after he was called uh, into salvation, and then have that church develop, you you know, with Paul as the head of that movement. So we thought, well, the book of Acts is kind of divided into two-year period of 15 years. The first 15, Jerusalem is the center. The next 15, Antioch is the center. So we call this phase of our church the Antioch Mission. Okay. So we like to use the next 15 years, after the first 15, to plant churches. So we are in the process of training leaders, and uh, we have an agreement now with uh, SBDS, or the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, so our students could get up to 35 credits uh, approved by them to continue into a uh, master degree or something like it. Mm-hmm. And the idea is to form leaders and train leaders so that they could go out and plant churches. So it seems like this is a a very different thing from what you see in a lot of church planting networks where you have churches that sort of seem to exist to plant churches, right? So they they exist for maybe like two years max, it seems like, until they start thinking about like this neighborhood over here needs a church. But you're talking about planting a church and saying, yeah, we're going to plant a church eventually, but it's going to be like, you know, we might have a few more kids before we plant <laughs> oh, a church absolutely. or something like that. I think we have the run vision of time or timing, primarily because he only lives to be 70, 80, 90 years old. But I don't see God in a rush in the Bible huh, yeah. <laughs> ever. Yeah. You know, he took Moses and uh, spent 40 years with Moses in the desert before he called him to do anything. He asked Noah to build an ark and then spent 120 years waiting. And even his own son came with all the wisdom in the world, all the gift and talents, a perfect character, and used him 30 years later. 
So I think we don't do a, lo- a good service to the church or to the local church. If two years later into the process, before I have a good number of leaders who have mature and have been trained and have learned, we're already sending them out. Right, right. So you may plant four or five churches. Um, I don't know what is going to happen to you main church if you haven't subtly f- solidified that church. Sure. And I don't know what the number of years is. I, I just think... Uh, I always think about Christ telling us how to do this. And he says, go to the Lord of the harvest so he can send out workers to his harvest. So I need planters. And those planters, they need to be called by God and come with that passion and and come to us and say, pastor or pastors, we have a plurality of elders. Uh, pastors, I, I really have this burning desire to plant a church, and I think that is done by God. In the meantime, continue to build your local church and develop your local church. And true, uh, some churches are smaller than others, but if God is growing your church, that bigger church will be able to do a lot of things that other churches might not be able to right. do because of their size, their strength, lack of Give talents, leadership, whatever. So that's where we are. That's interesting because a lot of the churches that I know of that are church planning churches, they talk almost um, proudly that they don't go over like a certain number, right? They will never allow their church to like go beyond a certain number of people. But you're saying like it's a strength to grow your church to a larger number. You can do more things that way. Absolutely. Although I wouldn't think that that is the case for every single church. Sure. I think everything is a call. It's a call of God. And, uh, you know, God gifts people differently and in different measure. If you think about a Don Carson, Tim Keller, John MacArthur, John Piper, they were given a measure of leadership that others have not been given. And I think to take one of those men and put it in a church of 200 people and say, well, this is the only, the only thing that you should do or, <laughs> uh, because other than this is wrong. I think we're trying to uh, f- uh, fit God into a box and we can't do that. I think uh, people are called by God to do different things. And according to the measure of the grace given to you, then you should pursue that call. And, you know, some people say, well, if, if you're trying to do this, it's just man's wisdom, and uh, we, we're we trying to do it differently. We're trying to do it the way the early church did it. There were smaller churches. Well, the reality is that the early the earliest church couldn't do it any other way. Yeah. <laughs> they were, yeah. they were yeah. persecuted. They yeah. were poor. They couldn't build a building. They couldn't rent a building. Uh-huh. There was no other way. So we took that as a model for today. And there was a movement 10 years ago, the home church movement. And then everyone was trying to, to do that because that was the key to church growth in the first century. That was not the key. That was just the way it was. And then there, again, we go, we go back to man and we think that the strategy of the first century was to expand the kingdom through that model. And now it wasn't. It was just something that happens. And then God, who is sovereign, show us that you cannot limit him, even if you have a persecuted church and you have no means and you have no building. Right, right. (laughs) None of that is going to limit the growth of my church. And then today we are under different conditions and God will operate differently. About that point of the calling, can you talk about like the moment you became or the time or how you became aware of what that calling was? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, You know, I came to the U.S. from the Dominican Republic um to further my training. So I did three years of internal medicine, two years of infectious diseases. And honestly, it was not in my mind to go back to Santo Domingo. I really never thought of it. And my dream when I first came here was to remain in the U.S. and just be an academician in a training center for the rest of my life. That's really what I enjoyed. But at some point in that process, um the Lord just... I don't know what to call it. Awaken me yeah. to his truth. Were you a Christian when you came to the uh, U.S.? I may may have been. A, I wasn't sure. Okay, that, that's sure. the best answer. Sure. And the only reason I'm saying I wasn't sure, number one, there were evidence in me that I was not a Christian. For example, I was not in a local church, but I was reading the Bible intermittently, and I was praying to Christ intermittently. Now, the one thing that makes me doubt if I was or not a believer is that when I met my wife, the one who is my wife today, 
she was not a believer. She was almost an atheist. And I prayed for a whole year for her conversion. So now I'm thinking, <laughs> was I an unbeliever mm-hmm. praying for my future wife to convert uh, to something that I was not? I, to me, that is doubtful. But yeah. but something happened in 1983, clearly. Okay. If I need 93, 84, 83, 84. If I have to say when was that year that just turned you around, whether you call it you became born again or you finally woke up to the reality that you were born again. Or, right, right. Um, in 83, one of my brothers uh, was a pilot, and, and he crashed mm. in Massachusetts, North, uh, North Adams, Massachusetts. And he was a believer. And uh, his death shook us up, the entire family. And we went down, actually, I was in Santo Domingo when that accident happened, uh, vacationing. And um, then we came back, and then I thought I should look into the Bible and the local church more seriously. So I pursued a personal study of the Bible and the history of Christianity. And uh, I bought a two-volume uh, set of uh, Christian history. And I began to read that that text to see where all of these denominations, that group came from. And eventually, I wanted to find a church that will teach what I was learning from the Bible. And I found a church. That began with a passion for the study of the Word that just continued to increase through the years. And then by 1992, 10 years into my professional career here, already teaching medicine here even, I developed a passion to go into ministry. So I pray and I ask the Lord to confirm that through my wife, knowing that God was not going to call me in one direction and call my wife in another direction. And my wife was against it. But at that point, I was thinking to remain in the U.S., do a ministry somehow. And and I took it well, didn't argue, and then I prayed again. I said, Lord, if you ever call me, I pray that you do that through my wife. And I'm not going to speak to her ever again about going into ministry. Sure. So that if it happens, I would know that it came from you. And two years went by, and I'll spare you of the details, but two years went by when one day I was reading something uh, in Spanish, a Christian literature that a youth pastor from our church had given me to send to my family. Nothing about being a pastor or going into ministry. And my wife asked me, what it was, I told her, and then she said, maybe check, you should check it out. And I said, check out what? <laughs> and she said, going into ministry. And I said, uh, well, you got to make your decision. And she said, I already made it. I said, oh, wow. I said, there's one problem, though. Two years ago, when we talked, I wanted to remain here in the U.S. And now, if we do this, I want to go back to Santo Domingo to plant a church. And to my surprise, she said, uh, that's what I want to do. Yeah. So why did you want to go back to San Domingo? Well, in those two years, uh-huh. between the first time I spoke to my wife and then this all the time, I went, we went back to San Domingo four times in two years, and we did some medical mission trips. I taught and preached the word there. And during those two years, the Lord opened my eyes to a reality that is there to this day in every third world country. And that is, by and large, the middle class and above is unriched. And I have read some texts in, uh, in mythology uh, stating that that was a problem because you cannot develop and reach the country where you do an evangelism without reaching the middle class. You need human resources and you, you need financial means. And most of the work that missionaries have done in the third world countries have been done with the non-educated, primarily because of the language barrier. And that's a worthy work. Yeah. But it hasn't progressed to then affect the rest of the country. Right. So um, God put that passion in me to reach that middle class, people who are educated, they have nothing to do with financial means, people who have some college-level education and above, uh, to then... Uh, since through the preaching of the word that their hearts would become sensitive to the needs of those who have less means. And that's what we've done. And uh, reach that class or that group of people. And with them, now we have different ministries working. In. We go to the jails four times a week. Four jails once a week, I should say it. The four biggest uh, jails in the country we visit every week. 
we are next to a poor neighborhood that we're working in. There's a public school there. We teach 13, 14 hours of Bible class uh, classes in that public school. And we took 45 kids from that neighborhood. And now they are going through a bilingual lang- uh, uh, academic program in uh, in the premises of the property of our church. Right. And uh, they are going through a program that one of the best schools in the country use. It's a partnership with them. Um, used to... Um, for a lot of the people who have means in, in the city. So these kids are going through the same training and rigor of this, of that training. They are now at second level, second grade, uh, and they're already speaking English. So these kids, every day they come, we cover the books, the uniforms, their tuition, and they oh, have wow, also yeah. a medical dental plan. Wow. They get breakfast and lunch all for free. That's amazing. Every day. That's so, cool. and they go back home every day. And your church covers that or yeah. who, who? Church members. Uh huh. And other church members as well from other, from right. other churches. Donations from other donations, places. So, yeah. Yeah. so, okay. So I want to make sure I have this straight. You said you're focused on the mid, the middle class and higher middle class and above. That w- that's what we would like to reach, but with the intention. Okay. And we have said that from the very beginning. And, and I could tell you the, the Bible verse that got used to say, this is the way you got to go, to reach those who who have less means sure. as a way to transforming, being missional, a missional church, uh, you know, transforming the community around it and contributing to the development of the country. Uh, when Paul went to, when he got his call to go to the Gentiles, he went to those who were called, you know, the bigger apostles, the, yeah. the more famous one. And he presented his mission to them, or his calling. And they said, yeah, that's fine, Paul, but only one thing we ask you, do not do not forget the poor. And Paul said, that was exactly what I wanted to do. So They're on go. the same page. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, up until I found that verse, I was feeling guilty that I was going to do that, which I'm doing now. But uh, God showed me, no, this is, a, this is a biblical principle that you could use just make sure, just like Paul, that you don't forget the poor. Because what you do is you minister to them, and then when they're there with you, you say, and also <laughs> right. there are these people That's right. that we, need our help. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and even within our own community uh, in the church, we have people who are not very well educated and who do not have any means. Uh, we help them. We have a, uh, a mercy program, uh, I might call it, and we provide food and medicine every month for a number of people in the church who come on Sunday. So it's not that that we are just focusing on the middle class and educated or above. Uh, no, that would be a, kind of an elitist kind of a uh, sure. yeah. kind of appro- approach. Now, I'm, and we're not doing that either. But we want to make sure that these people who are professionals, that they understand the plan of salvation but also that they understand that the Bible is a worldview that should transform your way of thinking and the way you lived and the way you practice your medicine, your, you know, if you're an economist or a lawyer or whatever you are, uh, you should be transformed by the gospel, not just in terms of uh, your moral behavior at home, at church, or your vocabulary. No, you cannot see people according to the flesh any longer, as Paul says said in Second Corinthians 5. Right. Uh, but that requires a transformation of your mind. And that's what we're trying to pursue. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. So once you accepted that calling, 
I know it's tempting to say no, but I'm curious if you if there was just any moment where you thought you'd made a mistake where the, where you doubted that calling. Uh, honestly, not. No, I could say the only hesitation I had uh, more than once and and for longer than a year or two was whether or not God wanted me to do any medical work. And this is the way it happened. First year I was there, I didn't do any medical work for the first year. I was convinced that I was not supposed to. Second year, by God's intervention, a doctor, very well known there, offered me his office, which I did not use, but he did offer his office for me to practice medicine there. And he said, we need an infectious disease person here. And uh, I heard of your training. And and then I saw a patient for him here, for another patient there. And then I ended up opening a medical office. Uh, but I limited the growth of that. I was going to the office only on Mondays and Thursdays, and only in the afternoon, and only after 3.30. So it was very limited. <laughs> it was a short afternoon. <laughs> but I did, I did do infectious disease work in hospital. Okay. Most of the cases anyway, even when I was practicing here, most of my practice is complicated cases because most of the infections that are simple, the internists will treat that. You know, I wouldn't be called for a simple urinary tract infection or a sore throat or an ear infection. It would be someone who is complicated, something was already done, I didn't work. So I did that and I visited different hospitals for, and I did that for 10 years. So during those 10 years, I did question myself multiple times. Am I supposed to be doing this? Yeah. And I felt guilty sometimes. But invariably, every time I had like a big, heavy sense in my conscience, perhaps, that I shouldn't be doing it, something happened that told me, yeah, you should continue to do this. And the one occasion that was the last time I argued with the Lord, let's say, (laughs) if I should do it or not, uh, it was this Sunday morning that I was called to see a patient before work, uh, church at 9 a.m. So here I am at 7 o'clock in the morning driving to a, a hospital to see a patient. And I'm thinking, you see, you, you're not supposed to be doing this. You you need to be preaching at in in two hours. I mean, yeah, yeah this, you're distracted now. Yeah. <laughs> to make the long story short, I go, I see the patient. He was with his wife. I presented the gospel, which I do very frequently uh, to patients or families or whatever because it's very easy for a doctor if the patient has trust in you to do that and especially in Latin America so the patient and the wife um, gave their lives to the Lord that morning Wow! and then as I was driving to church and I said Lord I will never complain again because here I was that this work was in the way of my ministry, uh-huh. and the call was my ministry. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the call to that patient and the proclamation of that gospel, that is my ministry. Right, right. So I never complained again after yeah. that one time. And uh, what I did do, though, I eventually closed the office okay. completely. And then now for five years, maybe, uh, I've uh, continued to do some work, uh, as I said, maybe a couple of cases a week. Could be three or four in some cases, but but it's very limited, and it's very easy for me to do it because they are usually impatient. So I could do it seven o'clock in the morning. I could do it at lunchtime. I could do it at the end of the day, because I'm not the primary care provider for that person. I'm the consultant. So if you call me, I could say, you know what, I'm stuck with work until six p.m. Uh, but if you want to, you could do this, 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 begin the patient on this antibiotic, and then I'll, I'll see him at six, or I'll see him at lunch, or I'll see him tonight after church service. And, yeah. uh, they all have been okay with that. And, uh, even this morning, someone called me about a patient that I have seen three weeks ago, or text, texted me, and then I gave some recommendations. So it's been easy to do that. That's got to mess with your work life balance. <laughs> Right? That's got to make it hard. Uh, well, it does make it hard at times. But uh, what do you do? Do well, you have any sort of safeguards or do you just like see that as a, as a, I'm, I'm in a phase right now personally where I'm like, that's just like part of it. <laughs> I have like an end date in mind where that's going to be over. But like for now, I'm just like checking my phone all the time. You know, I'm, I'm willing to stop at any time God will ask me to, honestly. This is the way I have seen it in, in two ways. Number one, uh, it is ministry. 
because I'm not just seeing patients. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I see, I have seen a lot of those people come to faith, uh, in one of these medical visits, yeah. literally, uh, because it's very simple for me to present the gospel. Right. And even some family members and then to see them at church as well or doctors and nurses that now I see at church is, is the fruit of uh, being connected with them. That, that's one aspect of it. Two, I, I saw, I imagine that the Apostle Paul was a busy guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you would think so. <laughs> and, and he says yeah. he worked day and night. Right. With his, with both hands, with, with, with my own hands to support myself. And I'm thinking there is a guy that was also doing some of it and continued to do ministry. So, uh, and thirdly, for whatever reason, I, know I don't have any hobby. There are two things that I like. Mm-hmm. I like reading, and I like to practice some medicine. So sure. I'm saying medicine right now is my hobby. Yeah, it's I like your get, golf or whatever. Right, yeah. I don't go to the golf course. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. play tennis. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't go to the gym. Yep. Uh, I go and I see a patient, and I present the gospel quite frequently. Uh, well, that's a wonderful a, a wonderful thing to do. So, yeah, some days are, are tiring and difficult. But you know what? I don't think Christ had days that were any less than that. Uh, I read in the gospel once or twice, in one occasion when the text says that they did not even have time to eat. And I think people who have made an impact always lived an intense life. And there's a sense of urgency that I don't see in many people. And I think uh, we need to take care of our families, that's for sure. But I think we only have a a window of opportunity, uh, and that window will close. Uh, not necessarily because God will stop working, but for my, for me, for example, um, in another twenty years, I'll be what seventy seventy seven. Mm-hmm. Twenty years. Well, my window is closing, or maybe closed by by then. So I think we need to live with a sense of urgency that now can forever and then just be careful that you don't damage your family your testimony as you do that do you see yourself retiring in 77 uh no i don't think i'll be retiring but i more than likely i might not be doing what i'm doing today especially with the same intensity sure i'd like to see the new generation coming up and taking over yeah and they be perhaps being a mentor to them Almost a, in, in, in the world, we say a counselor. Yeah. In, in ministry, a mentor and continue to preach and continue to write. I like to do that. And, but in a different light than what I'm doing now, you know, I'm, I'm the main preacher on Sundays and on and on and on it goes. Now I think God will, there will be a time when you will have to retire, you know, like Billy Graham. What is he doing in ministry today? He's in his nineties and, but that's a different, way to think, oh, I, I'd like to take a nice when I'm 70 or 75. And No, I, I don't see life that way. Uh, have you started some of that mentoring of the younger generation? Oh, yeah, uh, definitely. We took in three new elders in our elder board, okay. and two of them are in the early 30s. So, yeah, we're doing that. And I, I take a, a new group of people for leadership training every 18 months. And we go through a nine-month training uh, process. So, yeah, we're training the next generation. They are the church of the future. If you don't do that, your church is, has a, a, a death sentence right. upon it. So. Do you think there's like a shared or a commonality between all the people that that are of that generation? That's me too. Like I'm like a, I'm kind of like in between Generation X and Millennial. Do you think there's like a, there's something you're seeing over and over again from people who are church leaders or wanting to go into the ministry and that are that age that you keep, like a thing you keep having to say or like a, an opportunity that you think that they have sure. or anything like that. Well, I see a lot of passion in them. And, uh, and I see a new passion, if you will, for the doctrines of grace and these solid biblical teaching. And that's all good and right. fantastic. I think there's one thing or two that they need to pay attention to. And, and I just said it yesterday <laughs> and i keep saying it all the time number one you need to cultivate your character you know you don't grow holier by being older necessarily yeah. and once you pass the grace of god which is the one that allows you to do everything else in life yeah i keep saying it's all about 
character. God said that his primary reason for sending his son is to develop the image of Christ in us. That is character. Right. So um, the, the young generation need to think more about that, that they need to cultivate, that intentionally cultivate character. How do you do that? Well, I think you need several things. Okay. You need mentors. Mentors that you trust and believe when they share the experience. Right. I think you need to read. You need to read the wisdom of people who have gone ahead of you, uh, even sometimes generations ago, mm-hmm. because God gave them to us as a church. Uh, and there is a lot of wisdom there that is available to us. Mm-hmm. Number three, and I think this is where this generation has a big problem with, is you need to reflect and meditate. You need to take time to think. Yeah. And uh, you can't think doing. It's so th- hard. Uh, you know, but you can't <laughs> think doing three and four tasks at the same time. Right. And I think life should be, you know, it's hard if you think, okay, let me go out to the mountain to meditate for an hour. <laughs> I don't think that's the way. I right. don't think it works that way. Yeah. I think you reflect continuously on what's going on every day. Uh, for example, I may finish these time with you speaking, I may continue to reflect upon what we share. Uh, as I drive, maybe I go home and talk to my wife and say, you know, I had a great conversation with this person that I didn't know before. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he was asking me about this. And I was wondering about him or I was wondering, you know, whatever. And then I reflect upon that. And my wife and I talked a lot about what's going on in my life or in the day in ministry or different things, even medical cases. So life is like a reflective exercise. I don't know if that's the word, but it's it's, it's a reflection exercise. It's a Mm -hmm. meditating exercise that we should be used to all the time. But I can't do that if I listen to a sermon and it's finished and I'm never thinking about that sermon again. Yeah. Maybe I take one or two truth points of that sermon and I continue to chew on it for two or three days sometimes, even months, literally, as I continue to apply it. So that's the way the meditation reflection has worked for me. I am always rethinking in a good way. I'm not hammering myself with it. I just like to chew on the things that are happening, taking place. Right. Uh, yesterday, I spoke uh, at the CBMW event, and I share, and I, I was finished with it. I could have done, <laughs> just say, well, I'm, I'm glad it's over. I'm done. No, I, this morning, I think I was talking to my wife about something that came to me yeah. as the result of that talk, of that sharing. So I'm still in something that happened yesterday. Yeah. I think that's the way life should be. I've noticed with writers that the best writers, I feel like, write about the same thing over and over, just different angles of that same thing. So there, I think there's something to that, not just like moving on to a new thing. There, there, we have a habit of that, like on Twitter and in the news cycle, like there's mm-hmm. a new news thing every day, and you have to have like a you have to have a thing that you say about it. That's like part of the job or whatever. Yeah, so. I think it, it, it's just the way you described it. But at the same time, I think there is a call of God to people, to pastors, of leaders to say, you know what? I want you to focus on this. Yeah. And be, uh, <laughs> this is going to be your driving force. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And just like John the Baptist, you know, calling people to repent. That yeah. was the only thing he did. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't yeah. doing anything else. <laughs> right. He just repent. Huh? Yeah. What else, John? Just repent. So I think people are called. And you can see Tim Keller, you know, he's yeah. city to city and he's, he has this passion to see this city transform. Mm-hmm. And then you see another leader saying, no, that doesn't work. The church is not called to transform <laughs> any city. Yeah. And, you know, the, and he preaches on it and does it again. And, and then you see John Piper speaking about this joy in the Lord. And he, every time he's speaking, he's speaking about rejoicing in the Lord and preaching right. hedonism and, you know, our God is so monumental and so big that none of us can uh, get to the limit of any of his work, of any of his attributes, of any of his perfection. So different people are focusing on different things. Personality, the place where God placed them, the generation in which God placed them, a call of God. Uh, I think that's how he works out.
you may have mentioned it and I just missed it, but what's your thing? Like, what's the thing you're focused on? I guess I could mention a couple of different things and eventually they will all find out. <laughs> they will all be put together, I would say. When it comes to expansion, Latin America for sure is big in my heart. Yeah. Because Latin America has been evangelized without transformation of, you know, the impact that Europe had with the Reformation. We haven't seen that. Not mm. even the beginning of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what the U.S. was at one point. Yeah. And I'm not going to argue whether it was, if the U.S. was ever a Christian nation or not. Right. But there's no question there was a time when this nation was heavily impacted by the Christian values. Yeah. And we haven't seen that in Latin America at all. Not even mm-hmm. the beginning of it. So that's a big one in my heart. When it comes to the individual, character is is a driving force for me. Mm-hmm. And, and primarily because um, you find in the Bible a call to righteous living. Now, in this generation, where grace is being emphasized so much, which I'm glad, because yeah. it's all of grace, but there's a missing jewel there. And that is that people who are listening to this grace upon grace upon grace are so satisfied in that grace that rather than progressing in their sanctification, motivated by the incredible grace of God, we're just finding ourselves very comfortable that we are safe. And you know what? I may have committed a horrible sin yesterday, but you know what? It's all about grace. Hmm. Uh, you know, it's all at the end of the road. No one is good. Not even one. Uh, even our righteous works are filthy rags. And, and we find comfort in that. But you know what? There are plenty of verses in the Bible that call us to righteous living and to call us to live a, a life without reproach. Yeah. So uh, that that's a big one. Uh, so in some sense, the... the uh, the righteous living of the believer as a response to Christ's love and Christ's grace. Not motivated by guilt, not motivated by punishment or consequences. That would be, that wouldn't be pleasing to the Lord. Mm-hmm. I think what pleases the Lord is that you comprehend it, you, his love and his grace so well, like Paul, yeah. that your response to it was a, a life of righteousness. That would try to uh, to please him, sure. Uh, to please the Lord who saved you. So it seems like you're focused mainly on sort of transformation in general, individual and cultural sanctification in general, and the way that that plays out. Yeah, I, I would say so. Yeah. And I think people who are sanctified will sanctify their places, right? <laughs> Families, communities, offices, right. if they live out their calling. Yeah, that's the way I see it. Yeah. Good. Last question. Um, if you could talk to yourself years ago, just your, your younger self, what would you tell him? Hmm. I would say, number one, remember God has his own chronology of time. Wait for his work. Mm-hmm. These are things that I've seen. Yeah. So, Wait for his signs, his work, his, his opening of doors. Walk through those. He's more interested than you in doing his work. And your call basically is to walk in works that he thought ahead of time and prepare ahead of time so that you may walk in them. So you now don't know it, yeah. but you'll see Hang 20 years from uh-huh. now that that is the way it's going to be. Uh, that's one. Number two... Um, I would be telling myself, be prepared for disappointments. People don't always respond to what you have given to them. Mm. And sometimes those you have given the most may be the ones who have, who will eventually question you or question your motive and maybe do, would not appreciate what you've done for them uh, as as much as others who you have done very little for them. So, just part of human nature. Uh, that's just the way it is. Um, and when, when it comes to evangelism, I would say be more careful the way you, the way you present the call to salvation. It's not a profession of faith. Mm-hmm. And that I would say definitely would be one of the things that I would <laughs> be telling myself. Yeah. Um, I think, um, 
sometimes, many times, quite frequently, people are too cavalier in the way the plan of salvation is presented and then the call to salvation is given. Right. Today, I, um, I, I still give calls to salvation. Not every Sunday. It depends upon a lot, the message and maybe the way the spirit was moving that morning or whatever. But every time I do it, I say, this is the way I, I say it. If you are under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, uh, that was not a vocabulary that I used 20 years ago. Yeah. If you are under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Right. And you are seeing yourself now as a sinner in need of forgiveness. Yeah. But at the same time, you have a desire to repent, which if you do, is given to you by the Holy Spirit as well. And you understand that that forgiveness can be given to you only through the sacrifice of Christ at the cross. And you are willing then today to repent and ask for that forgiveness. Then I would like to guide you in, in the prayer of repentance. And, and then I might lead people in that direction. So I would be more careful uh, when it comes to evangelism. And I would, I would have said to myself, in the, as you do medicine, be more free to share the gospel. I always did. I always did. I, I even had here in the U.S. a Bible uh, class for AIDS patients in my own office. But in the day-to-day, in a routine basis, uh, I, I was more careful. Uh, Why was, were you careful? Maybe I was younger. Sure. Yeah, maybe more more intimidated. Uh-huh. Less mature, yeah. less comfortable as a doctor evangelist, if you will. And maybe maybe uh, needed more confidence in the power of the gospel to do the work. Yeah. yeah. Rather than, well, maybe this is not the right timing. Maybe this person is, is hard. And may, may, he might not be willing to listen to me. I think with time you realize that when God is at work, uh, his work is so powerful. His word is so powerful that um, you can share that word Anytime, any place, mm-hmm. with, with confidence, without any shame. Yeah. So I think I would be reaffirming myself about the power of the word um, to do the work anytime, any place. And, and I would say to myself, I I would say to myself, you have to pay more attention to your wife. Uh, and I think I would say that to myself many, many times over. Uh, we men are doers. And we, we tend to focus on one thing and go after that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then the wives or the children will suffer, will suffer the consequences of it. Just a reminder, The Calling is made possible by subscriptions to Christianity Today magazine. You can get a $10 subscription right now if you go to orderct.com slash the calling. Do it if you enjoyed this interview and you want to hear more. Pastor Miguel Nunez is the senior pastor of Iglesia Bautista Internacional in the Dominican Republic's Santo Domingo and the president of Wisdom and Integrity Ministries. You can follow him on Twitter at Pastor M. Nunez. Remember to rate and review the show on iTunes. It helps us a lot. The Calling is produced by Cray Allred. Theme music by Lee Rosevere used under Creative Commons 4.0.